Blog Talk Radio. collective, the cultural, 
our artistic, our cultural conditioning, programming, perspective, our social nature. And that, of course, then parlays itself into the grander it, if you will. I don't know what Ken Wilber would think of that phrasing and framing and languaging, but I'm uh, going for it for at least fun anyway and a certain kind of uh, purview. Uh, And the grand it, the larger, the pluralistic it of our society at large, our system our ways of dealing with each other socially, um, our institutions, systems of all sorts, including our currency system, our economy, uh, our social fabric, etc., etc. So we here tonight on A Better World will be opening the microphones up for any reference to any of that, as well as to the macro levels, which are actually in the uh, second and fourth quadrants, in fact, of the it and the grand it. (laughs) It's ours. It's all ours. So we can be looking at our personal uh, lives and the way we metabolize experience and understand our perceptions and translate those into uh, a slightly larger octave of belief systems and that leads of course into our assumptions and we can uh, look at those and we look at the larger scale of all of that which is what we metabolize as a society what we live with what we also accommodate and tolerate in each other quite honestly and the conflicts that arise because of clashing belief systems, which has so much to do with the development of our sense of maturity. Another way of understanding our sense of maturity is understanding something about the development of our brain, our brain system, our nervous system. And we can understand psychological and emotional maturity, maturation from the point of view of neural development. It just happens to be one of my favorite subjects. And we can look at all of the four quadrants from that point of view. We can look at actually all world history and development, progress, regress from that point of view. And the issues facing us so powerfully today, such as climate change, global warming, massive pollution, massive extinction, massive disrespect and disregard for the very biological reality that brought us into being, which is, of course, Mother Nature, Mother Earth herself, which, by and large, in our society, in our Anglo-Saxon-oriented, Western-oriented, hemispheric consciousness, Mother Earth doesn't actually exist as a mother at all, but rather a strangely animate and inanimate object to be drilled, 
to be cast aside after, of course, enjoying the richness and profundity of her resources, thought of as resources, rather than the magnificent, sacred cornucopia that it really is, designed, I believe, my belief system, for all beings, not a rank, not a monetized portion, not an IQ level, or anything remotely like that, but for all sentient life, which means we, humans, as well as the other species populating this precious earth. And we, not more. I know that seems controversial, but we, not more. We and, we with. It could be argued that we have a heavier uh, brain than many or most, and that with the heaviness of our brain, the one place we want a little weight, eh, uh, comes, um, comes a greater capacity because of that density and scale to celebrate. Do you think I said celebrate in Japanese? <laughs> no. Excuse me, bad joke. I'm just playing. Celebrate and celebrate. And when you celebrate enough, you darn well sure celebrate because thinking is a creative activity. And when it's done in certain specific ways, then it becomes even deeply creative and uh, can bode well for a future full of happiness, well-being, and celebration. So pardon my um, poor no-linguistic joke, but uh, maybe you can play along with me a little bit. We can't laugh at ourselves. We're stunk. I spend a fair amount of time laughing at myself, so nothing new about that. Anyway, I want to invite you all to call in today. As I said, this is a day where... In you are the guest. And if you do not call in, well, I will be speaking about these, what I feel, very topical subjects, very actually essential subjects, really worth our review. And those of you who uh, really comprise the majority of listeners who listen in archive, unless you know how to ring up the past, uh, to weigh in on today's show verbally, you'll be listening to me speak and without the opportunity to call in. But for those who may be listening live, uh, the phone number to reach me and share your questions, your thoughts, 602-753-1860. That's 602 753 1860. I'd also like to uh, invite you to consider a certain framing of the conversation where we can enjoy um, the the egocentric, let's just p- put it in the kindest way, the self-centric, the, the aspect of life that is sort of around our own subjective experience 
of day-to-day reality, moment-to-moment reality, really. Um, Are we happy? Do we feel sad? How do we identify ourselves? What is us? What is not us? Looking at layers and levels of identity, of brain activity, of proportion of brain activity, of uh, just overall sensitivity, of thinking and creative thinking, of quantum thinking, of uh, universal thought, where we can go from the egocentric to looking at the nature of our fellow human beings and uh, and nature at large, where we move to what we would call, you know, in integral thinking, world-centric, where we uh, pop out of ourselves, we sort of put ourselves aside for a moment in a certain way to take a larger view of what might be the suffering of others, the uh, possible conflicts others are having, the challenges and difficulties others are having. You could say from a Buddhist scientific or Buddhist psychological point of view, we're looking at the world from the view of the Mahayana or the larger vehicle, the greater vehicle, and the bodhisattvic view, which is embedded there, where we care from the depth of our heart about the well-being of our brothers and our sisters. And it's really from that place that we look at life itself. And uh, in other words, we don't do anything without somehow or another taking into account, are we hurting someone else? Are we harming anyone or any being of any sort? Or are we not? Is our action more or less neutral? Or, if you want to upgrade from neutral, is it kind? Is it helpful? Is it loving? Is it compassionate? Is it useful? And we can upgrade yet again, although that place of world centricity is of utmost, utmost value in today's world because we seem to have so little of it. Uh, I see, unfortunately, the United States of America's general consciousness as having very little tendency in that direction as an overall population that is there are brilliant exceptions in fact there's an entire significant proportion that we've named um, cultural creatives sometimes we refer to ourselves yes it's true I am included and no doubt those of you listening are as well uh, as progressive folks people beings, creatures, and uh, thinkers, actors. And that allows us to really consider what's going on in our world, on our planet, in all dimensions. In the dimension of having uh, the sources and resources for food, for as many humans and sentient beings as possible, having the water available, of having soil for the food, of course, available, 
that's clean and nourishing, and making sure we have the air available for oxygen content primarily that is not polluted, but that can actually nourish our cells as they are designed to be nourished. So then we have to take another step off the deep end. We have cosmocentric, where we look at our relationship in the universe to other galaxies, to the other members of our solar system, to other aspects far-reaching of our universe at large. That's another level of identity where we here would be considered essentially a planetarian or an earthling, as you would like, and uh, so we're not as identified with the town or city in which we live or by the uh, religion into which we may have been born through our family uh, lineage or even our gender for that matter. These things aren't unimportant, not at all, but they are not overriding. They are not our greater sense of identity, but we identify with something much larger than ourselves, much larger and greater. In fact, we may even say that we are identifying with the utmost of the infinite universal truth or the universal intelligence or the source of all, of all. And we know, even through physics, that our body is but the same as every other body, actually, of all bodies. And I don't just mean human. I mean all bodies floating in space as planets, as stars, as comets, as asteroids, or as fish and lizards and reptiles walking the face of our beautiful Earth. Interesting, huh? So I'm just inviting you to think big, think out of the box, think small as well uh, by using your imagination to shrink ourselves down to... Remember what was the film called? um, uh, Was it uh, Forbidden Voyage? Was that it? Oh, this goes back a long time. I'm dating myself to my very early teens. When this film came out... uh, Fantastic voyage, not forbidden. Thank you. See, my brain is working. Fantastic voyage where, uh, I don't know if it was through a syringe or what, but somehow or another, some adventurous scientist types uh, managed to shrink down to virtually cellular or nano level and um, take a trip through the circulatory system of someone. It was like to diagnose or, you know, may have had some medical uh, um, offing to start with. And uh, they went on to do this extraordinary journey of the body as, you know, mini cells, you know, (laughs) looking at the world from that point of view, you know, from a bacterium. Anyway, these are all the possibilities that we have as humans with our awesome brain power, and mind power, and 
what really is the gorgeous convergence of these is our imagination. Our imagination lets us grow big and small, blue pill, red pill, you name it. That is possible. Just ask Alice. Anyway, this is Mitchell J. Raven on A Better World. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. What are we talking about now? Daylight time. Standard time. Isn't it wonderful to have such an imagination that and power? that you can just change the time on the clock. I think I want another hour. You know, let's just monkey around with that clock. Who's watching? No. I mean, it's very cool, actually. I I, I really like that. I like that things aren't so rigid that we can play around with the clock, fall back, spring forward. It's really very cool. Um... It's not real time, and some question whether time exactly exists at all, but certainly we have our linear version of it, and those people with, it seems, the highest consciousness, uh, sometimes in body, sometimes uh, without, uh, have said that time seems to have collapsed past, future, and present into the present. what is that great quote of Albert Einstein that time is nature's way from keeping everything from happening at once? Really, really provocative thought. Anyway, I want to invite you all to join me at 602-753-1860. 602-753-1860. It's a good day to join me because... I don't actually open up the mics that often, and I'd love to receive some of your uh, thoughts about what goes on in our world, in a better world, in even what some might call a bitter world out there. After all, we just came back from election night, which was last night here in the United States of America. I know some of our listeners come from different parts of the world. Europe, Africa, South America, Asia, and I'm completely delighted to have you all. So uh, a shout out, as we say in English, to our Chinese friends, ni hao ma, to our Japanese friends, konnichiwa, genki and uh, namaste to our Indian friends. On it goes. I'm not going to go do every single language, but... uh, I will say kagdala to my Russian ancestors and Ukrainian um, love that you listen in and people from all over, bonjour, bienvenue, bienvenidos, etc. So, well, I hit some of the highlights. (laughs) Welcome. Okay? Yeah, uh, there's nothing quite like creating uh, through language a, a spirit of kin of kindred spirit, of uh, an opportunity to connect with others on some kind of uh, linguistic slash heart level. It feels so good to hear our own language spoken, in fact, by people of another ethnicity, another language family, because of the intent behind the effort, which is to reach out and connect 
um, you know, reach out and touch someone, right? That's how programmed we have been by Western commercialism, by the telecom industry. No, it's actually a beautiful line, even if it does come from one of the big um, telecom companies. You have to give credit where credit is due. Well, of course, that would be to the advertising agency that came up with that slogan. But I like it, and I'm willing to use it to show less partiality against and more partiality for something that's good, recognizing something good. Yeah, when we create a global society, a global family, a global community, this does not mean we are giving up biodiversity, psycho-bio-cultural diversity. No, it means quite the contrary, that we come to appreciate this diversity. That's the game, to appreciate each other and to appreciate diversity. So I wanted to bring up and circle back to my reference to um, the United States midterm elections, which occurred yesterday, and the results for many of us were harrowing and saddening. Um, I wouldn't say altogether surprising. And it's not that I am such a fan of the Democrats. I am not. No, no, no. But yes, the old phrase, lesser of two evils, they're not that much less, but they are significantly less. That's the important distinction. Both parties are in bed with each other, with the corporations, and it's the distinctions between them from the corporate point of view are few and far between. But as parties, political entities, and uh, views to each other, uh, they're fairly distinct and polarized and have rather different agendas and um, interpretations of reality and belief systems. Um, Not that that matters so much because we do live in a corporatocracy. So it's more like, uh, as Ralph Nader says, twiddly dumb and twiddly d. Don't kid yourself. You're not in the right place at the right time if you're in one of those uh, parties or you're even voting for one of those parties. There are times I will say that it's probably um, not incredibly imprudent to do so. But I know that I haven't in the longest time, although I may have voted for Al Gore in the year 2000. That I think I did because of his book on the earth and climate change and his position on the environment and because in many ways he is uh, is a humanitarian. I know his track record has been choppy in many ways. I know his father owned major shares in an oil company. I'm really not going to fault him for that. I just it's just I just don't think that's wise. I think that's being very imprudent and very foolish and uh missing the forest for the trees. Uh bad image at that moment because I think the oil company was in the Amazon and uh, he should have well sold it. And I think he ultimately did. I'm not positive of that. But that aside, uh, his overall contribution to raising awareness 
through his education on climate change and uh, the film he made, I think, even though so many people badmouth him, I just don't understand it, uh, I think um, has made a world of difference in helping mainstream see something about the issues regarding global warming and and, uh, climate change. So, just to say... Just to say... When we take everything into consideration, we realize that we now have elected officials in Congress and in the uh, Senate that are actually climate deniers. I want to put it even a bit more strongly and boldly and say climate deceivers because their own own EPA, which they are connected to by function of uh, their having government posts, and this is another insignificant agency, and NASA, where all of the climatologists, originally led by Jim Hansen, uh, have been pronounced explicit about the dangers, going back to the early 1980s and things they actually recognized prior to that. Really look at Rachel Carson, who might not have had that phrase, global warming, but she saw way back, I think it was in the 1930s, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, what we were doing to our planet through her book, the classic, The Silent Spring. And we know it doesn't take a climatologist to see that if you keep polluting the air and you keep polluting the water and you keep polluting the soil, there's going to be an effect that isn't going to be a favorable one. And I mean, come on, think, my friends, but they're being paid not to. And they are actually on a major greenwashing campaign and propagandist blitz that has been going on now actually for decades under the uh, aegis of big money in politics. And this is just onerous to be mild about it. And we're all going to be suffering. It's, I mean, it's sort of like if you know there is a group of people that is going to open up fire on the masses or, you know, drop a bomb on masses and to extinguish millions by so doing. What do you do? How do you deal with that? Do you wait for laws to pass? What do you do? How do you take matters into hand so that you can prevent such massive slaughter? It's a good question. I don't have an answer. I would love to engage you all in such because that's just, you know, the way it is. I'm going to take a brief break and be right back with you.
J. Rabin of A Better World. That was beautiful Mozart, which punctuates the opening and the closing of our shows, as well as occasionally in the middle, like then. I want to invite you all to our website, abetterworld.tv. I don't think we say Triple W anymore, do we? Abetterworld.tv. Used to be abetterworld.net, same thing. We prefer abetterworld.tv. Uh, because that uh, suffix, what do we call that? <laughs> what do we call that in cyber lingo? Uh, actually matches uh, what we're up to. Media, television, radio, website, uh, social media, and we're uh, gearing up on that. So if you do not yet follow us on Twitter, go to our website at betterworld.tv and click on the TW or Facebook the same. And uh, we're gearing up more and more now in the social media realm, which is something that uh, we at A Better World did not make great use of in our earlier years when all of that was kicking in because uh, we had enough to focus on. We had human life, conflict, tension, conflict resolution, uh, issues between man and woman, business partners, father and son and daughter and mother and son and daughter, siblings, corporations. How do they relate to us? How do they relate to our commons? Wow, we've had our hands full, folks. It isn't easy to create a better world, you know. We do everything I can possibly think think of here in our, you know, 18-hour block, seven days a week, well, more like six. Come on, give us a break. You know, at the end of the day, we have to make our best efforts and then let go. Best efforts and then relax because the world is going the way it's going. Society goes the way it goes and you do your best to make the efforts to influence the thinking, the awareness, the consciousness of others, and yet there's only so much you can do. In fact, uh, today I did see a beautiful, uh, a beautiful quote. Where did I see that? Somewhere in uh, the social media, as a matter of fact. Was it Facebook? I have such trouble keeping track of all of this. Um, Not that I can't do it at all. Of course I can. But I did come across a couple of quotes that I wanted to share with you. Let me see if I can still find them. Sometimes people post things so rapidly that you just kind of lose track of just what is what. And I really did come across something that I really did want to share with y'all. And I'm having some trouble locating it right now in the many, many things that show up here on this uh, on this selective Facebook-style thing. But uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. And uh, if I find it as I'm speaking, I'm waiting for anyone to call in and engage me directly Um, I will certainly share it with you. It was actually a quote um, by Plato, and it was really interesting to 
see that it was something regarding uh, the way um, our cultural lives operate uh, in that the people who are thinking outside the box in any given time period are interestingly not uh, recognized by the people at the time but only in retrospect. Wow, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's the hero who is never seen in his own home. He is always not seen as a hero there, but outside that box. And that's just the way it seems to go. But uh, in light of uh, the election of yesterday, we now have a Republican-controlled Senate and a Republican, further Republican-controlled House of Representatives. Um, unfortunately, it's not a House that represents us. It's a House that represents the uh, corporate uh, structure of our society. I personally am saddened by this, and it's not that I am... Uh, pro-Democrat, because I'm really not. I have been pro-independent thinking for virtually all of my voting life, and I have voted for such as uh, John Hagelin of the Natural Law Party, who ran in the years 1996, 92, 96, and 2000. I met him actually in 1992, and uh, interviewed him because I had started the television show A Better World in 1993, so I interviewed him a couple of times in 1996, and uh, Better World was strongly supportive of his candidacy. And number one, I was supporting independent candidacy in general, and his candidacy in particular, he was loudly GMOs, genetically modified organisms, in our food supply. And as a physicist slash scientist award-winning from Harvard University, he recognized the potential hazards, dangers, and consequences of going down that path, which are showing up more and more in our science today. Many of us have known all along it doesn't take a rocket scientist again to figure out that if you manipulate genes in the ways that uh, Monsanto and DuPont and others do, that it's going to lead to an unnatural disaster. Just think it through. Look at what they've actually done and what they are doing. And there's no chance anywhere that it could be somehow salubrious, helpful, healthful to any population or to sentient life itself. Not possible. And virtually anything is possible. But that is not possible. That's going too deep into the engineering room of life itself, into the biological engineering room, and messing with stuff in a way that is not to be messed with. It's sacred material. And it's another thing to look at epigenetics, the way we can influence our genes 
uh, literally our DNA, through our thoughts, through our feelings, through our creativity, through our physical actions, through our health. Whoa, interesting subject, that for sure. And uh, the beautiful work of my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist, the author of uh, The Biology of Belief, who is really one of my teachers in this domain, is really, in a sense, one of the great patron, patrons, if not fathers, of epigenetics. It's an extension, a natural and logical extension of his thinking about the role of the mind and the role of emotions and the role of belief systems in cellular life. A brilliant breakthrough, revelation, epiphany he had back in, uh, God, it must have been in the, uh, could have been in the mid to late 80s. And I originally met Bruce and interviewed him. It was his first television interview, 1994, I believe it must have been. And, uh, you know, we just became great friends since. And I am a great appreciator and admirer of his work and uh, his self. His, uh, as a man, he is just an exceptional being. And um, I really respect him and love him deeply. And um, he, he embodies so much of what he talks about with the world. On that note, let me uh, share with you all the phone number yet again, 602-753-1860. It doesn't look like I have any takers today, and that is often the case here at A Better World. For whatever reason, I know most people are archivists, and I respect that as well. But you don't get to call in. Oh, yes. I would love for you to call in. That's okay. It has happened, and uh, it's all good. It's all good. So let me turn our attention again to uh, the debacle that happened yesterday, um, to our elections, through our elections. And I was referencing uh, Dr. John Hagelin and independent thinking and independent parties that I have personally been voting for for virtually all, with an occasional exception, uh, like George McGovern when I first started voting altogether. And I produced rock and jazz concerts for that man <laughs> to help him get elected back in 1972. Yes, oh, I was a young lad, it's true. But still, I had the uh, chutzpah, and I was invited, actually, by the McGovern for president campaign and later honored by Warren Beatty for the successful run I had of having uh, Dave Brubeck's son's group open up a fabulous concert of Herbie Mann, the uh, brilliant flautist, flautista, for those of you who may know that album. Oh boy, does that reach back. I was really not a lad. I was a baby at the time that came out, uh, but I do have it from my family's uh, record collection. Anyway, yet it's true, in Westport, Connecticut, I did produce that concert of Dave Brubeck's sons. Uh, they were great, and Herbie Mann, in what was largely at that time a Republican town, and the piece, Dove, uh, George McGovern just did not make it, so it was truly um, a 
a work upstream, swimming upstream to get that concert populated. But I did. Yes, I did. And uh, from that, I was invited by Warren Beatty, who is the uh, the chairman of the entertainment department for the McGovern campaign, uh, to produce further concerts in the state of Connecticut. But alas, my parents insisted that I go to college. I had been accepted to a wonderful school upstate, and they wanted me to go without question. So, so much for my career uh, with with uh, music production, concert production, and um, progressive politics. Oh, I could have jumped in again, but instead, I did get uh, involved uh, with uh, John Hagelin, for sure, and um, Dennis Kucinich, for sure, and then most recently, in the year 2012, on the National Steering Committee of Rocky Anderson for President in the Justice Party, Independent Party, for sure, at his invitation and request that I be uh, a member of that steering committee, I was uh, honored by that and very much aligned with his politics and with, again, independent politics, because that's the direction we all must go. And uh, my good friend, colleague, and mentor, Gary Null, is another very strong, bold voice about that, as is Ralph Nader, who I have been also a fan of for many, many years, who is just one of the great Americans, unsung, unrecognized by the majority of Americans, and he's done more to help and protect the lives and safety of Americans and their integrity than virtually anyone in the public eye. It's extraordinary how he has been marginalized. And it's shows like this, shows like Gary Knowles and Progressive Radio Networks at large that recognize brilliance and commitment and integrity and true human humane values and appreciation of our environmental dilemma, our issues with government, with the justice system, which seems like it has just withered off the vine. It virtually no longer exists. It's been co-opted by Wall Street and big business. And uh, we're, we're just really, really in a very low space. It is regressive. I think we have to recognize that. Now, is that in preparation for a large leap forward? Oh, yeah. Let's hear it, baby. Let's say that that's what it is, that we're just winding up for a really strong pitch. But, oh, my, the suffering we must endure. Of course, while I recognize the absolute magnificence of human biology and human neural potential and human creativity and the ingenuity, literal genius of the human spirit. And I am an advocate par excellence of what we as humans can do 
and create and produce and stand for and be, oh yeah, I am a believer in the human spirit and human potential. And with that as the ideal that we all uh, live for and live toward and seek to activate and ascribe to, we must acknowledge where we are individually and collectively as a species right now on the planet. Even if we have been in existence for several million years and the earth in existence for, oh, some 13 and a half billion years, life on the planet from a single-celled organism onward, and whether we've been fussed with from above extraterrestrially, uh, I do not know factually. I have suspicions that the answer is yes, that we have been toyed with, fussed with, genetically modified, in fact, which gives me the deep intuition of how dangerous it is. Uh, I would refer anyone interested in that conversation to the work of uh, of Sitchin, Dr. Sitchin, who is very well-known biblical scholar, uh, scholar at large, um, and uh, Hebrew scholar, and thinker, philosopher, and uh, to some extent philologist, who has done some massive research into this subject, and I would surely refer you there. But not only to him. I would, uh, in more contemporary times, he did die a few years ago, uh, refer you to another uh, friend and colleague of mine, uh, Michael Tellinger, who I have interviewed several times here on A Better World Radio and TV, and A Better World uh, hosted him and sponsored him in New York City, um, not this past September, but the September before that. That's uh, 2013, I believe it is, yes. And we met in 2012, October, in Holland, where I was the MC of a Breakthrough Energy Conference. Very interesting. And he was one of the speakers. And uh, we spent a good time of, time of time together, and I came to learn a lot about his thinking that was based on the work of Dr. Zachariah Sitchin. And he went further to help corroborate that work because he felt such a connection to that work. And he did find a many, many series of locations all over South Africa and beyond that he feels corroborates um, Sitchin's understanding that we are essentially, you could say, test tube babies, that we really have been genetically modified from the uh, organisms that were growing in evolutionary fashion from the single cell uh, on planet Earth from the water originally, um, and then we were um, joined by uh, some extraterrestrial 
oh, I know that sounds funny, but I don't know why. It shouldn't sound funny. I mean, why in the world would there be life only on this one singular planet out of trillions of planets and galaxies in an infinite universe? I mean, it's actually bizarre to think otherwise that there isn't life on other planets. It's just, it's actually absurd and not probable according to the most rigorous of probabilities. It's just, it's truly impossible, especially in light of what we're seeing now on Mars. But even long before that, I think any thinking rational person would recognize that uh, in a universe, there isn't going to simply be biological life on one out of trillions of planets. That's the height of hubris and egocentrism. It just it goes beyond. I mean, it's actually of the same paradigmatic headset as uh, the sun revolves around us. But of course it revolves around us. What kind of fellow are you, mate? Well, we learned. And we will be learning again, if you haven't learned already, that we are uh, densely populated across our universe and no doubt just galaxy with life uh, most likely, and I pray, more intelligent than ours. So when they were doing the cross-breeding and order, according to Sitchin and Michael Tellinger, to build a slave race, um, this is what they came up with. Oops! Experiment gone wrong. Experiment gone mad. (laughs) And I think we have ample proof of it today. Just look at our Congress! Just know I'm being funny. I hope you think so. Uh, Just look across our planet and the fact that our Earth is abundantly rich in the greatest cornucopia, the greatest abundanza, the greatest abundance of all things. Fruits and nuts and vegetables and flowers and beauty and water. It's a water planet, man. It's a water planet, and we have just plenty to keep us all sustained for a long time. But that's not how the divisions have worked. This notion of a 1% or 2%, whatever it is, or one-tenth of 1%, those little details actually don't matter. What matters is that people are starving. Right now, right here in the United States and all over the world, because of the manipulation of the few of the many. And that's not even a blame comment. That's an observation. We have allowed this absurd arrangement to continue. It's it's actually hysterical and um, humbling humbling and frightening so it argues for a kind of development that we haven't had enough of of our human species is it possible to turn this whole thing around, you betcha. It is possible to turn it all around. We have the hardware to do it. 
we have some of the software to do it. We do. There's no lack of either. There is a lack, however, of sufficient human and political and economic will, all of which adds up to spiritual will to bring about the correction in the interpretation of reality. For that, well, that's what I really wanted to discuss with all of you today. What do we need to do for that to happen? We need to go from our egocentric selves to appreciating and respecting the larger self, the world-centric self. Let's stick with that for the time being. The cosmocentric brings in other elements that are too far flung, too far afield right now for where we are, I think, personally. Not to say we cannot be infused there. Not to say that it might actually take a cosmos-style event to occur to bring us together, to unify our, unify our egocentric and world-centric uh, fields. It may be. I'm all for that. Um, that's what's been hinted about forever. Um, but we need to clean up our act. And it's messy. And we're, we're literally playing with fire. We're playing with fire. The, the sixth extinction is not far off. The precipitousness of nature, of the melting ice sheets in the poles is utterly frightening. And the way that's going to be affecting uh, sea level rise is just it's going to literally wipe out a large portion of our human population and change the face of the earth. This is happening now. Droughts are happening now. This is not something of the future. Also the future. And the tipping points have actually already several have already been passed. There's no going back completely to the way things once idyllically were, the way we thought of things in the 1950s with Betty Crocker. No. And things are never going to return completely to the original indigenous ways, where I'm not sure that would be best, but we do have examples. In fact, as recently as last week, I had Helena Norberg-Hodge on, who is the author of Ancient Futures and the filmmaker of The Economics of Happiness. And in that, she goes into some depth about what happened that she witnessed in Ladakh, the Western Himalayan uh, nation controlled by India. Are, aren't all nations controlled by some other one? big fish, small fish, but this was a sustainable, harmonious community of approximately 100,000 people that worked in uh, harmony with the land, with each other. There wasn't poverty. There wasn't unemployment. I don't even think they had words for such things. Certainly unemployment. Everybody had something to do. And it's just it was the way of life all over the planet, really, for, for millennia. That's the way it was. Yes, there was warfare. Yes, there was violence. Yes, there was dominion. 
Um, later there were crusades. It's true. I'm not trying to say everything was hunky-dory. Not in the least. It was violent, man. There are some people who say it was more violent then than it is now. I have a little trouble accepting that one uh, because violence is uh, occurring on so many levels, gross and subtle. But nonetheless, uh, we have made some strides, but I would recommend, if you don't remember this interview that I did with David Christopher, the author of The Holy Universe, I would strongly recommend it because I feel that he blends the uh, ancient wisdom with the contemporary in truly a lyrical way and uh, something that I have learned and, from and gathered a lot from. And uh, I feel he really hits the mark on that. So I'd really recommend it. But what we see is that there is a movement, a global movement, toward localization in counterdistinction from globalization. Globalization has virtually killed us. And as Helena well pointed out, a lot of this is due to the... Uh, the treaties, the trade treaties that have arisen over the past 50 to 60 years, um, unbeknownst to many people, most people don't understand it, they're usually multi-thousand pages long, written in legalese, in small print, nobody can master these things. And yet we are signing our lives away, we are signing our, li our rights away, and our governments are signing their uh, sovereignty and authority away, like in the Trans-Pacific Partnership and several others of today, and in the earlier ones as well. So we're in trouble, my friends. We're in trouble. And yet, amidst the trouble, in fact, I want to, uh, we have tremendous turn this ship around. And in that light, I want to remind you all, if you don't recall, that this Saturday in New York City, November 8th, uh, Helena Norberg-Hodge has organized what will be a fabulous uh, one-day uh, conference at the Great Hall of Cooper Union uh, called The Voices of Hope in a Time of Crisis. Chris Hedges, uh, Helena Norbrook Hodge, uh, Catherine Ingram, Charles Eisenstein, who was on last week as well. All of these people will be there. A number of others as well, speaking about our dilemma and the hope that we really can grow and cultivate to move forward as a collective. And there are very specific ways both internally, working with our minds and our hearts, our emotions, our bodies, our brains, to do so with our spirit. And there are ways collectively, socially, societally to do it. And that has so much to do. And I agree with Elena and many others who are uh, participants and teachers of the new economy and the new economics where we've covered that many times over the course of years 
on this show and on uh, PRN when I was on PRN with A Better World. Now I'm on with the Film Hour, uh, Progressive Film Hour with Mitchell Rabin. Uh, that there are ways of localizing the economy and taking it out of the big box stores, the you know, the the big corporate-owned stores, and going back to the ma-and-pa shops, going back. It's not back at this point. It's forward, um, but it's reminding us of the way things were, and there's a lot of wisdom in the way things were when we were a little more innocent about such things. And uh, the Ma and Pa shops instead of the Walmarts, and um, the local farming instead of agribusiness and monoculture. These are the subjects that will be touched upon. If you go to my website at betterworld.tv, you will be able to learn more about it and to uh, attend. It would be very worthwhile if you're anywhere in the tri-state area to get yourself November 8th to the Great Hall of Cooper Union. You can sign up for it at abetterworld.tv. So our answers, there are solutions. There is goodwill. There is good cheer. There is a lot of it. You just won't see much of that reflected or discussed or articulated in the commercial media, those big corporations that literally control the public airwaves. So if you didn't have shows like this, if you didn't have shows that you will find on PRN, Progressive Radio Network, if you don't hear shows that you will hear on MNN, Manhattan Neighborhood Network, or other public access stations across the country, uh, a Better World has been on many of them over the course of years, and now we are aired online much easier than sending out VHS tapes and mini-TV tapes as we used to do on our shoestring budget. Um, you know, if you don't have these sources, the Internet and maintaining net neutrality and all of the wonderful media sources that you find uh, ProPublica, Salon.net, on and on and on, uh, .com, The Guardian. There are so many good sources, alternative sources, we call them. And we do everything we can for the common good, for the public, for the community, for building consensus, for... Uh, building and investing in local economies in as many ways as we can, in recycling, in moving into renewable energies away from fossil fuel, away from anything that can help to precipitate the release of methane, which happens uh, naturally, granted. Uh, Climate change is something that does happen also naturally. But in this case, folks, with what we are experiencing today, this is anthropogenic. Yes, that means man-produced, man-made, man-generated. So everything contributes to that. And yes, that means eating animal products. That means uh, 
doing what we can to reduce any of that, uh, we have to take responsibility and really act. And, uh, you know, I've heard Gary say, if you have one day that you consider meatless or chickenless or fishless or something of that sort, you know, um, and you do the stats on that worldwide, that is significant, man, significant. And if you do it twice a week, it becomes exponential, literally geometric. And three times a week, well, do the arithmetic. What you see is a changing world and greater health, you know, and greater health. So there are so many things that we can do ourselves in terms of our own use of energy, manipulation of energy, conservation of energy on so many levels, the personal, the nutritional, the energetic, the spiritual, the emotional, the psychological. These are all real levels of energy that we are responsible for their output. And therefore, in our own morphogenetic field, we can conserve, we can wisely use, prudently use, prudently and creatively think about the commons, the common, the public good. That's what we're called on to do here, folks. All of us. All of us. So I'm going to leave you with that thought. I mean, I've been riding my bicycle around New York. I haven't owned a car in years. Yeah, of course, sometimes I have to rent them, and I wouldn't mind having one sometime sooner than later. But you know what? That's going to be an electric car, man. That's going to probably be a car from a company that I helped to start, an electric motor company. Uh, And uh, soon we'll be moving in from scooters to cars and small trucks and the like and doing all sorts of wonderful things in the world. Anyway, uh, that's what we're dealing with here on A Better World. I thank you so much. We have so much to be grateful for. There's so much beauty in the world. There's so much love. There's so much peace, in fact. There's so much good, good will. I mean, there's so much love. In reality, there's so much everywhere. There's so much respect and courtesy between people on local levels in the urban centers. We see it all over New York. People open doors for each other. People say please and thank you and do things for each other in every single way. People put themselves in harm's way for each other. People save each other's lives. There's extraordinary potential in the human spirit. And we see it manifest. It happens. So we now need to do the things that are going to help breed more of the good. Breed more of the good. And that has to do with harnessing our brain, our imaginations, and understanding the mechanisms of the of the neural net. Uh, this coming weekend, I'll be studying and enjoying the brilliant work of Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's been a guest on our show on Airwaves a number of times, whose last book is You Are the Placebo. And it's just 
an aggregation of such brilliant research that has been done in the domain of uh, placebo, spontaneous remission, what appears as the miraculous, and that's only because we're not accustomed to it. What is the brilliant line of St. Augustine? What appears as the miraculous is a part of nature we're just not yet accustomed to. So on that note, I want to just thank you all for being part of A Better World, for listening as often as you do. Please take our uh, link and share it with others who you think should be getting these kinds of messages. Uh, follow us here at Blog Talk Radio and on Twitter and Facebook and all those fun things. And get our newsletter if you don't, because we're on every Monday on 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on uh, MNN. All that can be viewed through our website. On television, I interview the sung and the unsung heroes of our society. We talk about health and wellness and nutrition and the environment and political uh, activism and progressive politics and economics and uh, building community and building the commons. These are all common subjects for us of uh, going with the higher level of flow, moving the chi through our bodies and attaining and realizing the highest possibilities for our human nature, preserving our beautiful sacred earth. Wow! Doesn't that sound good? And having fun and being profitable all at the same time when appropriate. How's that? Anyway, talking about um, economics, I want to just ask you all to whatever extent possible, we do accept donations. We are exploring uh, becoming a nonprofit as well, which would make the donations tax deductible right now. They're just kind of a gift to help support our work at A Better World Media. It's all a shoestring budget out of my own pocket. We need help. We need editors. We need interns. We need help to keep us going to propagate the word. So I want to just ask you all if you are able to reach into your pocket for what is the equivalent of a latte a week, which would be, what is that, five bucks times four is 20 bucks or 15, or 25, or 10, or 50, whatever really works for you. There are so many good causes, so many good projects. I am very aware of that. And ah, here at A Better World, we give too. I give too. As many as I possibly can. So it's a challenging situation. Those in need to do the good work are so often financially challenged. So we ask for you to get in touch with your generosity. Generosity is the stairway to heaven, as the Buddhists would say. So to the extent that you can remember that, or if you want our services, we have um, we have harmonic energetic balancing, which is actually $600 a year, for the first year, and then it scales downward. And it's a way of uh, creating an energy field around your body via your photograph that is a brilliant, beautiful 
form of healing and balancing that we do offer here at A Better World. We also have my typical, but not typical at all, but typical for us here at A Better World, counseling and coaching and biofeedback stress management services that just go to the other website of ours, www.mitchellrabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N.com. And you can read about uh, what I've been doing as a holistic psychotherapist, a communications coach, mediator uh, in marriage, in divorce, in uh, business relationships. I've been an advisor to CEOs for years now. So there are many options available to you here at A Better World to get some direct you know, personal benefit, business benefit, health benefit, wellness benefit, energy benefit. It's here. So avail yourselves, if you would. And that all contributes to my continuing floating out to the airwaves, a better world. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.